Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So over the last two weeks, we have been beginning to consider Paul's second epistle to the church of Corinth, at least the second epistle that we have recorded in, in God's word. There is thoughts that he actually had other writings, but only the what we record have as 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are the only of those writings um, that were um, found and deemed to be scripture, God-breathed. And so as we begin looking at um, this epistle, we have considered Paul's thesis statement from the beginning of chapter 1 where he's talking about afflictions and he's talking about the purpose of afflictions and that, if you would, summarizing it, that, that, that our God, our loving, faithful God, has allowed things into our life for a reason. Afflictions, troubles, trials, tribulations, however you want to place that, the word theps, uh, thlepthis, or thlepo is talking about an affliction, to be pressed. Remember we talked about, again, that, that um, the concert in Cincinnati, uh, it was the Who, um, where the, the doors pulled in instead of out at that time, changed all codes, you know, so that there was this rush to, the, to get out and, uh, and people were crushed at the doors because the doors wouldn't open because they opened in so they were pressed or crushed to death. And that's literally what this Greek word, thlepsis, thlepo, means. That we're pressed, we're, we're just squeezed. And that's exactly how we feel in life when, when those afflictions come. There are times when, for Paul, that he, he despaired even of life itself. And so last week we, we transitioned to that when we talked about some of the things that he was feeling. That he, he said there were times when he, just, he despaired of life itself, that he just wanted to die. But that he found his strength in the God of all comfort. And that just as he spoke to in his thesis statement about the God of all comfort, who gives us comfort, all comfort, and all our thlepsis or all our afflictions, so he found that himself. Today, we're going to kind of transition a little bit um, in the concepts of affliction. Many times we, we think of afflictions in the physical realm. I, I got cancer. I have a casein situation and so it's an affliction for me because I can't have donuts right and so life became bad you know and so but we think physically but when God created man God created man in his own image and likeness and so as God created he created the vegetation and so again we have trees trees eat they drink they they breathe they are alive they have flesh they have a body but you don't have conversations with trees well it's you don't have real conversations. People think they have conversations with trees. But the trees only thrive, or the plants only thrive, because they, they, they breathe in carbon dioxide. So as you're breathing, talking to your plants, you're actually feeding them. Okay? And so, but then the next phase, God made animals, right? And so you have animals that eat, they drink, they breathe. They have a body. They have flesh that orients themselves to the earth as well. But animals communicate to one another. Isn't that right, Brazos? When you go out, you certainly don't want the squirrels talking to anybody else, letting, you know, letting them know that man is in the forest. You know? and, so, and so they're out there, and they, and they chirp. You know, I want the birds flying through my area when I'm out hunting, and I want them chirping 
uh, cheerfully and like nothing else is happening, you know, because everything is just, life is going on as it is. But they'll communicate to one another. They'll send out the alarm. I mean, I remember once when I got a, a doe, and I know some of you don't like hunting, but anyways, and I, it was, it was, it was um, bow hunting, and I was setting up um, again, and I'd waited for a while because I didn't want to spook anything, and just as I was setting up, I heard, from right behind me, I had a huge buck that was walking in on me, and I never heard him. Well, what did he do? He went in a triangle all around me, giving out the alarm. At that point, I might as well put everything away. Because now, I've, I've been told on, you know? Okay, so animals, they've got a body that relates to the earth, but they also have a soul, which relates to other of like kind situation. They communicate with one another. But what makes a man different than an animal, we are not an evolved being. We are created especially by God. And when he created us especially, he created us in his image and his likeness. And he didn't just form us. He then breathed into us. The neshama life, the, 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 the breath of life. And he made us in his image. And God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So we have a body. We eat, we drink, we breathe. We re- have, that relates to the earth. We have a soul which relates to other people, communication. But we have a spirit, which relates to God. And as we have a body, soul, and spirit, and that's given to us in the Word of God, that's not, that's not my philosophy, that's actually from the Word of God, that since we're made in that tripartite way, each one of those phases of our life can then receive afflictions. So we understand the physical afflictions. We understand social or interpersonal afflictions. You know, I think of Tavia talking about his wife, Golda. Lord, we've got the affliction. We need the healing. Anyways, and so, um, I never say that about my wife, and she doesn't say it about me. But, but we look at one another sometimes with, under those guys. You know, Jimmy, you kind of joked about that today. You know, as far as I'm going to be back every Sunday, we'll find out whether I become the... You didn't use these words, but whether everybody's going to see me as affliction or whether they're going to embrace me as being here. And, um, but... There is that other realm, the spiritual realm. And we wonder sometimes, why do people do what they do? The passage today that Paul starts to get into is talking about spiritual affliction. And how there is a spiritual war that's going on. And he's going to talk about it more when we get into chapter 11. And and, and it talks about the, the, the workers of Satan. And stuff like that. But he starts to give us a little bit of a, 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 a tint of that right here as we begin to, to talk about this. Because apparently there were Judaizers who were coming in amongst them. The Judaizers had followed him in his ministry. Now, hopefully you're asking the question if you don't know the answer already. And the question is, what's a Judaizer? Okay, you're using this term. What's a Judaizer? I'm glad you asked that question. So, <laughs> that's right. let me answer that question for you. Um, a Judaizer was, you put it together, was one who wanted to bring people back under the laws of Judaism, okay? And so um, they were the the Hebrews, if you would, the Jews, who would be theoretically believers. We can question whether they were true believers or not, but that's not for us to determine. That's God, right? Who would come in behind Paul, and they would begin to teach the Gentiles that they had to follow, they had to adhere to the laws and the commandments of Moses, 
in order to be a true believer. It became such a problem that I'm sure you, you remember the passage in, in the book of Acts where Paul and Barnabas went back to the church of Jerusalem to, to meet with the elders and the apostles to have the council of Jerusalem to determine what it was specifically that the Gentiles had to do or be to be saved. And so in that council, they said, no, no, the Gentiles don't have to follow the law. That's not for them to follow. We can't even follow the law. But rather, they need to just abstain from things that are, um, have blood in it, things that are strangled, and, 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 and from uh, worshiping idols. And from these, they would do good. Okay? So, but needless to say, that's going on here in the church of Corinth right now. And so Paul begins to come back, and he begins to deal with this spiritual affliction that he's been dealing with, but now these people of Corinth are starting to deal with. The application to us today, specifically, may not be where I am at this very moment. Now, the reality is you have Seventh-day Adventists that are out there. You have Mormons that are out there. You have um, Jehovah Witnesses that are out there that all focus on works, okay? There are others as well. I mean, we can get into some of the um, holiness movement, uh, Pentecostals and stuff like that, who are looking at works as well and looking whether you can lose your salvation and gain your salvation or lose your salvation. But the reality is that as we travel in the world that we're in right now, there are a whole lot of isms that are in Christianity. And almost every day, I feel like we're being presented with somebody else teaching the Word of God. And we're warned, Paul warns Timothy, that in the last days, people will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That means they, they want to hear what they want to hear, what's appealing to them. And what's appealing to man many times is the fact that we can do it on our own. Pull myself up by my own bootstraps. And so, though it sounds weird to us, being saved by grace through faith, that somebody may actually like the concept of works, because we're going to see you're going to be ultimately condemned. It's appealing to man, because then we don't need God. Does it make sense? We're on our own. So in order to fully understand the passage that we're going to look at today, I really believe that we need to understand the concept of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, which is what Paul's, as, I don't know if you were listening as Chuck was reading, that, that, that's what's happening here. The Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. The Old Testament versus the New Testament. The word testament really should be the word um, covenant. Okay, so, so when you read that, it refers to the Old um, Covenant, I think in the New Testament, or maybe the Old Testament and the New Covenant, whatever. There's the exact same word. Get rid, just, it's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Okay, And so as we do it, we're going to spend some time here um, looking at these verses. So if you want to grab your Bible okay, and go back to the book of Exodus, okay, we want to read these passages real quick. And it's going to take some time, um, but I think that it's extremely important for us to fully comprehend the context of what Paul is talking about here. So beginning in Exodus chapter 19, put these there. Beginning at verse 3, down to verse 5, Exodus 19. And so you have these verses on your sermon note sheet if you grab one of those. So you should know where I'm heading, okay? So beginning verse 3, Exodus 19. And Moses went up to God, and Yahweh called him 
called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. Go over to chapter 20. Okay, a passage that is gonna, you're going to know it. Okay? And, and I want to tell you um, right off bat, as I read this, you're going to know these as the Ten Commandments. Literally, the word commandment's not there. It's the word devar, which means word. These are the ten words of the covenant. So as you have a contract between somebody, you have a listing of things that you agree to do. So these ten words of the covenant are the ten items that are part of the covenant agreement. Okay? Beginning verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Literally in the Hebrew, the word is beside me, in my presence. You should have no other gods in my presence. So it's not just having one above him. It means not having any. You shall have no other gods beside me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor shall you serve them. For I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing chesed, showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my covenants. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Shabbat. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For... Six days, or in six days, the end is until the is not there. For six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land in which Yahweh your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his meal male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, listen to this, they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Chapter 24. Because um, Moses goes up onto the mountain and he receives the law. Okay, And so we see that um, coming back now in, in 24, beginning of verse 1 down to verse 7. It says, Now he, that is Yahweh, said to Moses, Come up to Yahweh, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near Yahweh, but they shall not come near, for 
nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of Yahweh and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which Yahweh has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of Yahweh. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountains and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to Yahweh. And Moses took half the blood put it in the basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that Yahweh has said, we will do and be obedient. Drop down to verse 12. Then Yahweh said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. Drop down to verse 18. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, drop to chapter 31, where we're going to see him coming back down. Okay, chapter 31, verse 18, and then we'll go into chapter 32. And when he had made an end of speaking, that is Yahweh, made an end of speaking with him, that is Moses, on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Drop down into chapter 2, or 32, chapter 32, beginning of verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of... God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was, as soon as they came near, he came near the camp, that he saw the golden calf, the calf, and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands, and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Drop down to verse 25. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on Yahweh's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says Yahweh, Elohim of Israel, the God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did, according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Drop down to chapter 34, beginning of verse 1. And Yahweh said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. What's the difference between the first time and the second time? God made the first ones. Now Moses is going to find out how hard it was to make those tablets. Right? Yeah. And he had to do it by morning. Okay? Cut, this, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words which were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of that mountain. 
No man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, as Yahweh had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And finally, John 28, verse 28. So he was there with Yahweh forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words of the Covenant, literally what it would say. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands. He didn't throw these ones down. When he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with Yahweh. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked to them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and, gave, and he gave them as commandments all that Yahweh had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before Yahweh to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with Yahweh. That's the Old Covenant, okay? In a nutshell, okay? What had happened, okay? And so I'm not going to comment on that right now. We're going to have commentary as we come through the passage. But we need to then talk about, okay, so that's the Old Covenant. So what's the... The New Covenant. So turn to Jeremiah 31. You've got to love studying the Word of God. Jeremiah 31. We're going to begin at verse 31. I love when there's doublets like that, that you can remember things. 31.31 is the New Covenant. Behold, the days are coming, says Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, remember that as we do Song of Solomon in Sunday school, that I was a husband to them, says Yahweh. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahweh, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Thus says Yahweh, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. Yahweh Sabaoth is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says Yahweh, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says Yahweh, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says Yahweh. The point of that is that Israel is his chosen people, right? But we see this new covenant. So 
What about this new covenant? So turn to Hebrews chapter 8 into the New Testament, which really is what? The new covenant. Okay? That's what it means. Okay? And so Hebrews chapter 8, where the writer of Hebrews, potentially Paul, um, writes extensively about this, but we're only going to read a couple verses. Hebrews 8, beginning verse 6. But now he, that is Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he said, quote, Behold, the days are coming, says Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says Yahweh. So on and so forth. Does that sound familiar? We just read that in the book of Jeremiah. Okay, drop to chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And now go back to... The other doublet, Matthew 26, 26, dealing with the New Covenant. So Jeremiah 31, 31 and Matthew 26, 26 are the New Covenant. The statement of it and the fulfillment of it. And you all know this passage. You hear it quite often. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The old covenant in the New Covenant. It's very important for us to understand. We're, we're thousands of years past from it. And so we live in a concept of the New Covenant. And, excuse me, again, many isms of the church today have the church replacing Israel. And they, they diminish what all the New Covenant really does for us, the importance of it. But Paul, in this passage, is... He speaks to themselves as, as ministers of the new covenant. I put it as the title, the ministers of a superior covenant, because within this passage, he's going to give five ways that the new covenant is far superior to the old covenant. That as these Judaizers are coming in, and they're trying to get you to go back under the, the, the establishment of works, rather than being saved by grace through faith, remember these five things, is basically what he's telling them. So, the Old Covenant is physical, whereas the New Covenant is spiritual. 
So if you're looking at the passage in chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, if you're back in there, okay, Paul says in verse 2 and 3, he says, You are the epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone. Understand what that's a reference to now? He's referring back to the Old Covenant. Not on tablets of stone, but rather on tablets of the flesh, that is, the heart. Why? Think about what was being stated. Yahweh, originally, at Mount Sinai, what did he do? He made, this, made the tablets, but what did he do? The second time, Moses made the tablets, but what did Yahweh do twice? He wrote. He wrote. He engraved with his finger on the tablets of stone. What did he write? Ten Commandments. The law. Okay? We don't know. We assume that it was the ten words of the covenant. That's what we always picture, you know, up here, you know, with, uh, who was that that played uh, Moses? Charlton Heston. Yeah. Anyways, and so, that, you know, and, and so, yada, 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 that, that's what's there. We don't know. We're not exactly specifically told what, what Yahweh wrote on it. Make sense? We know that he wrote on the front and on the back of two, two stones. I can write pretty small. Okay, I don't know how big Yahweh wrote. Okay, but we presume that. Okay, that's exactly right. Okay, yeah, he didn't have to use, he wasn't using, ta, 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 ta. He, God just what? It was kind of like he was using a laser, you know? And so it was God. He could do whatever he wanted to do. So, so whatever he wrote there, we're not necessarily told, but we're told that he did write on it the laws and the covenant, right? And so, so that's the first one on the tablets of stone. But what did we read then in Jeremiah 31? What was the new covenant? What is the new covenant? No longer would you be under the law like it's written on tablets of stone ready to crush you. But now, where is the law? Written on whose hearts? Whose hearts? You say R, but who is R? Not everyone. Believers. See, you guys are you're giving me this nice... Think specifically. And, and, I mean, because I, I mean, you, you got it, but, but it's important for us to understand. Those who have entered the new covenant. Do you get it? If you're still under the old covenant, where is it? It's on the stones, written to crush you. When does that become written on your hearts and in your minds? When you accept Christ as your Savior. And that's what he's going to get to all this way through. That, the, the veil that we're going to talk about at the end is there when the reading of the old covenant, but it's removed when you come to Christ. Do you get it? So it's a heart of stone before. It's a heart of flesh now, now I get the, the thing that Romans chapter 1, the reality is that there is an acknowledgement of who God is written in every person. Every person who comes to the earth, John chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, understands that, that God is. But the fullness of his law, of who he is, the embracing, if you would, of it, doesn't really come until you come to know Christ. So here's the deal. As believers, we've been taught to think of the law as Old Testament. Make sense? That's Jews. But if I am under the new covenant, if I'm a part of the new covenant, then I proselytize myself to a, if you would, Jewish covenant. 
Because who did, Je- who did Jesus, I'm sorry, that, well, Yahweh is Jesus. But anyways, but who did Yahweh say that the new covenant was for? To the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So when you enter into it, it's not an ex-Israel outside of Israel covenant. Do you get it? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. Paul said that the law was given to us as a tutor, a schoolmaster, to teach us what sin is. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin. So if the Holy Spirit's living inside of me, and one of his functions is to convict of sin, how do you think he convicts me or convicts you of sin? Through the Word of God. Oh, that was a great passage for you to want to read this morning, Steve. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the, the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Why? Because God uses his word to convict you. How much more important when we memorize his word, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the purpose of the law. Sadly, though, without Christ, the law isn't just a schoolmaster, it's the, the judge. Secondly, we see then that the, the old covenant brings death. The new covenant brings life. Because apart from Christ, if you're only under the old covenant, the reality is the wages of sin is Death. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, Though you keep the whole law, and yet you sin at one point, you are guilty of, of it all. And who are you then to say, Oh, you know, I, I have my faith. And he's, So James says, Well, good, show me your faith without your works, but I'll show you my faith by my works. Look, even the devils believe and they, they shudder. We're not saved by our works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10 that goes on and says, For we are his workmanship, created unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. We want to get rid of works, because I can live in liberty. I can do whatever I want to do. But that's not why he did it. But Paul then here says, he talks about the fact that the old covenant brought death. So we read all those passages for a reason, okay? So God gives um, Moses those tablets of stone, right, that he created. And, And Moses comes down and he sees the golden calf. Okay, that was all going on between. We skipped those passages when those things were going on. Okay, he comes down, he sees it, and he throws the tablets of stone in his anger. Okay, that's another story. Okay, he throws it in his anger. He breaks them, right? And then he gets to the entrance of the camp. Now, I don't understand how the camp was form, formed or whatever, whether they potentially then were in a, uh, um, where they were surrounded by the mountains and everything, and this is the only entrance into the camp, so they had a good defense. But he stood in the entrance so that nobody could what? Could get out. And he said, whoever is on Yahweh's side, let him come to me. Sadly, think about this. You ever think about this? Sadly, only the Levites came. Where is everybody else? 
Yeah, where was the leader of the Levites? Yeah, where's Aaron at? Anyways, so he says, take your swords, and I want you to go into the camp, and I want you to kill you. I want, you need to kill your friends, kill your companions, kill everybody else, because they've made their decision. And we're told specifically, on that day, 3,000 souls were destroyed. Shavuot is Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. So if you go to Leviticus 23, it might be 21, but I think it's 23, where you have the listing of the feasts. The, the Feast of Weeks comes um, 50 days after um, the Feast of first fruits, And in the Hebrew, it's Shavuot. But the Jews believe that Shavuot actually occurs on as a memorial of when the law was given. Okay? And so when they met then on Shavuot, on the Feast of Weeks, what we call Pentecost, okay, that they are celebrating then the, the giving of the law, okay? which is very exciting because now if you go to Acts chapter 2, okay, and you read Acts 2, so I'm heading back to Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 36. This is the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon the apostles and Peter began to preach to the, to the Jews who were assembled for Pentecost. And they had come from all around the world um, to do this. So beginning in verse 36, it says, Therefore, Peter reading, or speaking, says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, metanoia, change the way you think. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's he saying to them? Enter the new covenant. Jesus said, this blood is the new covenant of my blood for the remission of sins. You need to enter into the new covenant. What must we do to be saved? You've got to enter the new covenant. Verse 39. For the promises to you and to all your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. In that day, about 3,000 souls were added. The Old Covenant brings death. Verse 6 Paul says, who also made us ministers sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so, the old covenant is written on tablets of stone. The new covenant is written on the tablets of flesh of your heart. The old covenant brings death. The new covenant brings life. And then he continues on. Verse 7, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. The Old Covenant was a covenant of condemnation. Again, the reality is that if you, if you didn't offer the proper sacrifices, 
then ultimately you were condemned. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. There are other passages that I have on your sermon note sheet that you can look at, but for the sake of time, please, let's just go to Revelation 20. And you know the story, the account, if you would, of the great white throne that will be in the end times. Revelation 20, beginning at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books, plural, were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, plural. The sea gave up at the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works, plural. That came from the books of works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the singular book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. The old covenant, following a covenant of works, will lead you to condemnation. Accepting and believing and trusting in what Christ has done for you, entering into the new covenant, brings you the next phase, eternal life. Because the old covenant is temporal, but the new covenant is eternal. And so Paul continues his comment, in verse 10, saying, For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away, that is what is temporal, was glorious, and the law was, what remains is much more glorious. That which is done of men will one day end. That which is done of God will continue forever. But that leads us into this last um, thing. The Old Covenant is veiling and the New Covenant is unveiling. And I've got to rip through this quickly. But there's so much that's here for us. That just as when Moses put on that veil, the people said, No, no, we don't want to hear God talk anymore. You, you, you talk to us. Sadly, think about that. Isn't that the way Christians do it today? They don't read the Word of God. They don't want to hear God speak. They'd rather hear commentators speak. I feel ch- challenged by that whenever I, I teach and now having the podcast and stuff like that. You know, that, I mean, it's exciting for people wanting to hear biblical teaching. And yet I'd rather have them just read the Word of God. Look at it. If we spent three hours listening to all these podcasts and we spent the same three hours listening to God, Jimmy, I'm glad you're here. Over the past year, just pick one year, how much more have you listened to and read the Word of God this past year than you had five years ago? exponentially. How much have you grown in Christ? Exponentially. exponentially. I mean, I, mean I, I talk to him every Monday. I can tell you the difference. I rejoice, and some of you, I told you, I rejoice how much the word just starts spitting out of his mouth, and he doesn't even know it. Becomes a, it becomes a part of you. But that's because you're in the presence and the face of God, and listening to God, and not just to men. Who cares if you can quote me? I had a guy once, years years ago, previous church, we used to meet for um, accountability group. 
Burger King on Riceboro Road. Anyways, in one day, he said something to me that was a Bobism. That was his term. And I said, really? He said, I got it written down here. And this is the old, old days of cell phones. He had a uh, um, Palm Pilot. Palm Pilot. And in his Palm Pilot, he had a list of Bobisms. That's scary. That's really scary. I hope you have a list of verses that you're memorizing, not Bobisms. Quote me, it means nothing. Quote Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God, the word of God. It's exciting. Anyways, so the mystery of the plan. So in this unveiling that we have in the New Covenant, that there's a veil that's put over the face of the people that that they don't see things. And so I'm going to just run through the, the outline here real quick. And you can be reading this in um, first, or 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, down to verse 5. That's the reason we went to verse 5 of chapter 4, because it's all, all talking about this veiling. But it's talking about the mystery of the plan regarding redemption and regarding liberty. Look, this is a big deal. Again, Paul said that this was a mystery that was given to him that he could expound everybody else. And so as we talked about it in Sunday school a little bit, I don't know whether Solomon and David really comprehended fully what God had planned. They got little pieces of it. But we're told by Peter that even the angels, even the angels marvel because they look at this thing and they go, wow, this is incredible because Jesus didn't die to redeem them. Think about it. They got one chance, they blew it, and they're gone. They're demons now. The demons were angels. Do you get it? They chose to follow Satan once and gone. You fall, stumble, fall, stumble, fall. And Christ continues to what? Forgive you, forgive you, forgive you. How many times should I forgive him? 70 times 7. Oh, really? 49 times. 70 times 7. You know, oh, 490 times. No, what he really meant by that was forgive them like I forgive them. That means what? Never ending. And so, but regarding liberty, the big deal there, again, is that we look at this freedom that we have and we want to put it into guise of liberty but galatians 5 tells us only do not use your liberty as an occasion for your flesh but in love serve one another and therein the law is fulfilled how is the law fulfilled love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul all your mind and all your strength the second like unto it love your neighbor as yourself upon all these the law the law and the prophets hang i'm quoted that bad but you get it the whole word of god summed up boiled down love god love others it had none about you love your neighbors as yourself and so the world wants to say that means you got to love yourself because you can't love others unless you love yourself and you can't love god unless you love others and so therefore and they flip it totally up that's not what he said i'm third i'm last love god love others i can even throw love my enemies in there and then finally there's what love me if there's any love left Get it? The mystery of the plan. Secondly, the metamorphosis of the believer. This is exciting to me. Um, at the very end, it says, of chapter 3, Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, metamorphosed like a butterfly, into the same image. The image of what? The same image. The image of the Lord. From glory to glory, just as the Spirit of Yahweh is, just as the Spirit of the Lord. Look, I don't look anything like Jesus. That's why I grew the beard, so I start looking more like Jesus, right? That's funny. I mean, it's a joke, okay? But the reality is, 
that Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29, we know 28, for all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. But verse 29 tells us his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine that they may be conformed to the image of his Son. God, who began the good work in me, will continue to perform it till the day of Christ. Do you get it? God is doing a transformational work in the life of Bob. If you're his believer, if you're in the new covenant, guess what? Bob is doing a transform or Bob. God is doing a transformational work in your life as well. And he is changing you from glory to glory. I mean, in and of yourself, how he created you just in and of yourself is a glory. Think of the marvel that you are created in the image and likeness of God. But he's doing a greater marvel in not only that he's trans that what how he created you, but he's now transforming you spiritually. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship, and be not conformed to the world, but rather be ye transformed in the renewing of your mind. And so God is doing a transformational work in Bob in his mind. He's changing the way I think. Repentance. I changed the way I thought in a snapshot in a moment when I came to Christ. But that process of changing the way I think has continued to go on, and he's working this transformational work in me, and it's a glorious thing. You may not think so, but you should have known me 35 years ago, you'd think it was. Rodney, you knew me back then. Am I different? A lot. God is doing a work, and I think that's the work that, you, that we don't get. That's the testimony. That's the witness that people see. Do you get it? We are that living epistle, as he's talking to the Corinthians in the beginning of the chapter all about. You are the epistle. You are the, the word of God that people see. Even when you don't open up your mouth, they see you different. That's not what he would have acted. That's what nobody done 20 years ago. Or maybe he would have done that, but he wouldn't have came back to me and apologized. You're being transformed. Anyway, you've got to keep moving on. The message of the gospel, the manifestation of the light of the truth, and then the veiling of the light of the gospel. That there is a spiritual war, again, going on. Remember, this is all about spiritual affliction. There's a spiritual war that's going on. And Satan, he is the god of this age. He is blinding people from hearing the word. Now, here's the deal. God is still what? Still in control. He's still sovereign. He allows Satan to be able to do that. Because man is made in his image and likeness, and we have the opportunity to respond. We, then, on the other side, are told to be like the city that is set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid, so that people can see the glory of God and come to him and glorify the Father. Do you think the enemy is sitting on his hands? Do you think the enemy is all worried about all the little frivolities in life? No. This is life and death. This is a battle to the end. This is all about eternity. And there's a part where I need to comprehend the fact that when I become a part of God's team, if you would, that it's a commitment. And I want what God is doing in my life to be seen by others. Back to our theme. Many times that happens through afflictions. That the epistle of Bob, if you would, 
is seen how Bob goes through the trials and tribulations of this world. What Bob thinks about spiritual afflictions or truth, if you would, that matters to people. If spiritual truth doesn't mean anything to you, it won't mean anything to anybody else. You got to live it. So in the end, do you believe that eternal life is dependent upon your ability to adhere to God's or your own law? I did. That's how I got saved. When I began to read the book of Romans and I began to realize that that was me, that I was trusting in my own works, the ability to keep to my own standards and my own laws, and God allowed me to break my own. And I began to realize that if I couldn't live to my standards, how could I ever live to God's standards? If you're trusting in your own ability, it's only going to lead to condemnation. Have you accepted the free gift of God, which is eternal life? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What evidence in your life is there that you truly know God? So people are looking at you and they're going to put you on trial. How do they know that you're really his? Is it because i got a beard I'm trying to look like Jesus that way? That's silly. Where are you in that transformation process? Are you a willing vessel? Do you want to be conformed to the image of Christ? Or do you kick and fight and fuss the whole long way? Is there then a need to change the way you think, repent, metanoia, and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. You desire to shine through us. That's why you are doing the work in us, Lord, that you are conforming us to glory from glory to glory so that you might shine in this world. Lord, I do ask that you would shine through me. Lord, help me in spite of me to reveal your glory. I pray this for this assembly, Lord, that you would help us to be a light in this neighborhood in this community, in each of our neighborhoods, in the southeast, in our region, in our country, and through the world. Lord, as you used just 12 men and then 120 in an upper room, and from them thousands upon thousands and millions, Lord, I know you can use just a little assembly like us as well, as long as we're willing vessels. Help us to be willing. In Christ's name, amen.